here's another explanation. So the theory is that long I'll let this ago, one speak. cells developed a secret defense system, which we will call science now. the COP. What the COP does is when viruses invade and create showers of murderous recipes, the COP looks and thinks, hmm, some of these have a very fishy shape. It's a chemical difference, which comes down to some of the viral recipes are two pages instead of one, and one side is a mirror image of the other. But the That's point is, to the cop, there's something not right about this shape. So when they see it in that shape, they say virus. They, they go, say, uh oh, uh -oh. That's Eric Lander. and the cop destroys the recipe. When you say it destroys, is this? A, should we think like a kung fu kind Robert of thing? Robert Crawley. Sort of deal? Yeah, a little enzymatically, a little thermodynamics. Uh, enzymatically? Like enzymatic kung fu, maybe, yeah. <laughs> the cop <laughs> destroys not only the oddly shaped version, whenever he sees that recipe, oddly shaped, regular shape, that recipe in any form must be destroyed to defeat the virus. And the interesting thing is, until 1998, Nobody knew that cells had this defense mechanism. So I like this one too because again, it portrays an active response in the cell. And in fact, in this case, it's a little cop inside of each of our cells. And even my six-year-old daughter kind of got that. She thought it was interesting. So the double-stranded RNA is this helical form of RNA that cells can recognize and it's often involved in viral replication. So one of the ideas about the RNA interference mechanism is that it's a uh, defense mechanism that cells have to fight viruses, and it's clearly, that's partly what it does. Um, and there's a, the, the concept of a little cop watching out for viruses and then trying to silence them uh, and, and regulate them that way. Uh, so, uh, but the, ni the nice thing about this is it's not, it, it's much more metaphorical and not, as pseudoscientific as the RNA chewing. Um, so I, I think even my six-year-old realizes there's not really a cop inside of her cells. Um, so here's a, another model. This one's from Nature uh, and is more scientific. So here we're going to fly in. It's like a Star Wars version of the cell. We're flying into the nucleus of the cell. That's the DNA. We're flying along this coiled-up DNA that's actually supercoiled there. And here we are, it's opened up, this is the helical DNA. There it is unwinding and the polymerase is flying in here. It's starting to polymerize an RNA copy. So you can see the DNA and the RNA are molecularly very similar molecules. And this RNA polymerase is now making a message that is going to encode a protein. That's splicing. The RNA transcript is being modified and polyadenylated here and then exported from the nucleus out into the cytoplasm where it will encounter the ribosomes that will then read the genetic code, which happens to be identical between the worm and the human. So the worm proteins can be synthesized in a human cell. Here's the ribosome going along, making the protein, amino acids coming out. Now the scientist here is injecting double-stranded RNA, and that should actually be in an A-form helix. Not, this is a mistake. This should look like a different helix than the DNA. Um, now that's this enzyme we call slicer getting loaded up, and it's not going to chew. That part is going to go away. So now we just have one strand, and all of these bases here can pair with the sequences here. So this is like your search query that you put into uh, Google, and it's going to go find things that match that. 
that enzyme right there, that enzyme complex, is facilitating the search, allowing these little sequences to find targets. And then the, the target gets cut in half, destroyed by nucleases in the, in the cell, and that little RNA can go on and on and on, catalytically silencing genes and regulating genes in the cell. And it is um, extremely efficient mechanism, um, so uh, a, a very powerful mechanism. And here is what the COP really looks like. This is uh, the COP right here. This is a protein here in gray. And the RNA, the siRNA is shown here in purple. And then the mRNA is shown lying in this groove inside this protein. And what this um, protein does is it holds on to that little uh, search query that you want to find uh, things that match. It holds on to it very tightly, especially at the, f the one end of the RNA uh, molecule. When it finds a good match, it sort of lets go with one side and lets this uh, purple strand wrap around the, the greenish, bluish strand there. And as it does that, this, this uh, pushes the messenger RNA up into this catalytic center where there's a, a metal ion that catalyzes the cleavage of that strand. And then the, the um, complex can fall apart, um, but this little red, this uh, purple strand is held onto and goes on to cleave more targets. It's really a remarkable, uh, beautiful system. And uh, the cool thing about it, it's like one of those, I, I always tell people it's like work, it's like those commercials you see on TV uh, for the late night TV for something, and it, you know, they say it dices, it slices. Um, well, we had dicer acting earlier in the pathway. This is an enzyme that chops the double-stranded RNA into 20 nucleotide long pieces that can then be loaded onto this enzyme called slicer, which goes on to slice the targets. And it's just like those commercials working on this thing because you're ready to buy the darn thing. And they always say, but there's more. And that's exactly what RNAi has been like to work on over the past several years because every time you think it can't get any cooler than this, somebody somewhere discovers something totally mind-bogglingly uh, cool that's going on in their system. Um, and so it's really been like that. And one, one example of that is uh, here. And, I, and this, is, this is very, in a most abstract form, but this is what, this is the power of modern biology in the, in the post-genomics era. You clone one gene. For example, we cloned this gene RDE1 right here on this map. And um, all the, you can make what, it looks like a phylogenetic tree of all the genes related to the one we cloned. Because you clone one gene nowadays, you get them all. You clone the gene, you blast the genetic sequence for that gene against the databases, and it comes back with a list of all the genes that are related to that one. So we cloned a gene from the worm, and we were able to look at the sequences that are related to that in the human. And it was, that was when, that was the eureka moment for Andy and I. It was so exciting because we, would, we had been working hard. We, in 1998, we published a paper describing that you, how you could trigger this silencing effect with double-stranded RNA, but we didn't know if it would work in the human, for sure. We patented it, just in case. Um, but we didn't know it would work. So, um, but when we cloned the first gene, RDE1, uh, we knew that this was an ancient and highly conserved mechanism. And here are some human genes over here. There's four here and there's four over here that are closely related to RDE1. And so we wanted to know, and not only were there 
were there human genes related to RD1, there were worm genes that were more closely related to these human genes here than RDE1 was to those human genes. And there were more worm genes over here, more closely related to these human genes than to RDE1. So the ancestor of the worm and the human already had this family of genes and this family of genes. So we're looking back in time at the ancestral metazoan animal organism that lived below that Cambrian explosion, and it already had the RNAi mechanism, and it had already diversified it by having multiple proteins, probably doing very different things. So we wanted to know, what, a, what for example, do these worm genes do? So a graduate student in the lab knocked those genes out, and we got a very interesting uh, phenotype I'm not going to have time to tell you about, but it turns out that we discovered that RNAi is linked to a natural mechanism inside our cells for regulating all the genes. And these are little RNA molecules that are encoded just like protein encoding genes by genes that are present inside of our cells. And it turned out that hu the human genome sequence was almost done. So you could look in the human genome and see that these little hairpin RNAs existed, but no one had even noticed them before. Um, and now what happens is these RNAs get expressed they make a hairpin, so they're double-stranded. They get diced, and then they get loaded onto slicer. And they go on to regulate target genes. And this mechanism exists in plants, in animals, uh, even in fungi. So very, very exciting. Um, and it just keeps getting more and more exciting because at a recent meeting, we heard about how these microRNAs are playing a very important role in cancer biology. Um, so we're learning things just in the last few years about cancers that have been killing people for dec you know, for the entire uh, history of humanity, uh, but that we've been trying to uh, understand and, and treat. And now we know a little bit more about our enemy. We know that the, the genes involved in many cases are not just protein encoding genes, but RNA encoding genes. And it gets even more uh, amazing. I'll just sort of end by telling you a little bit about what we're working on now. That's what the DNA looks like. That's the beautiful double helical structure from Watson and Crick. And when, when they discovered that, we thought we understood how genetic information is stored inside of our cells. We, were, we really thought we had it figured out. And we had this renaissance, this molecular biology revolution, where we really began to understand how uh, genetics works. You know, the DNA itself explains so much, the DNA structure. But now I think we really uh, have an opportunity to, to uh, think more, think again, about how information is stored in our cells. And in fact, if you really look at what the, how the DNA is packaged inside the cell, it's, it, as you saw briefly in that movie, the DNA is in these thick fibers. It's all bound up and, and bundled up. Uh, and the, the unit of that bundling is this little thing called the nucleosome, which is shown here. This is a crystal structure. Let me show you in the next uh, slide. Crystal structure of proteins with the DNA wrapped around this histone core inside. And these cores are like little spools that have these things sticking out that run out uh, past the DNA and can be modified. And they can regulate how uh, bound up and compacted the DNA is. What's really exciting about this uh, mechanism of regulation involving these, these tails of these spool molecules around which the DNA is wrapped is that the RNA can guide 
the modification of these tails. And by so doing, it can control whether the DNA is wrapped up tightly or opened up more and allowed to be expressed. And there are ways in which this, these uh, interactions uh, between these histone tails and the small RNAs can encode information that's heritable. That is really exciting because the DNA is like the hardware in your computer. The RNA and the proteins are the software. They're what determine whether your, some genes are on in your skin and other genes are on in your neurons and et cetera. It, that, that explains everything about what makes us function as a complex organism. So the idea that there's heritable information in those interactions is really exciting and it can uh, even affect our, our thinking on evolution. Because just as our cells differentiate during development, they can change, uh, our germ cells can differentiate in our germ lines. If there's heritable information that can be passed without mutating the DNA, you can actually differentiate germ cells so that they'll express different types of traits uh, and have an evolutionary impact. That's something that I think is really cool. And, and in fact, if you look back at the history of our thinking on, the, on genetics, and you go back before we knew about DNA or even about Mendel, um, people like Weissman had these little things called, he had these little things called biophores. It was a jargony term. Uh, us biologists love jargon. We'll come up with jargon every minute if you let us. But the, his word for the gene was a biophore, and he described how the biophore could be uh, segregated asymmetrically so one cell could divide and he, he was thinking about how you could get all these different traits of uh, differentiated cells and he was saying how the SIR, not SIR, the biophore could be segregated independently to one, from one cell to the other and you get different ones in different cells and that could explain uh, the biology of development. Um, and, and, and everybody said, well, Weissman was wrong. The genes don't work like that. Mendel figured it out. Well. Weissman, if you put, where everywhere he put biophore, if you put siRNA, which is our new jargony term for those little RNAs, his, his description of, of genetics works beautifully. So uh, it's actually quite interesting. And then Darwin went even one better on Weissman. Believe it or not, Darwin imagined genetic information that he called gemules. And the gemules could replicate and do all these interesting things, but they could also find their way from the somatic tissues back into the germline where they could alter the germline in a heritable way. And again, uh, we have examples of that kind of behavior in the RNAi mechanism. In, in C. elegans, for example, the worm I showed you, the interference effect could be transmitted in the germline for multiple generations. So again, uh, you know, I, I think that, that uh, the possibilities are really exciting. So now I'm going to end uh, uh, just another way of thinking about RNAi. It stands for interference, but one uh, way you could think about it is information. So information in the form of RNA that can help uh, control uh, not only differentiation, but even evolution. Now here's a danger of getting one of these prizes. I thought I would just sort of end here. This is me in Stockholm. <laughs> Uh, and you can see from this picture that my head has expanded to a much larger size than the rest of my body. Um, I'm signing a chair at the Nobel Museum. I don't know why they have us sign the bottom of the chair. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it really, uh, although that did happen uh, transiently, um, 
it, it's not, it hasn't stayed that way um, because when I came back and, and even before I went to Stockholm, I started receiving uh, you know, countless emails from people all over the world who have sick loved ones. And uh, this is a picture of Tara Bean, who um, was a, a, a small child, a third grader, who uh, came to uh, our medical school at UMass to be um, treated, uh, actually uh, to be um, checked out after a vision test detected some change in her vision. And it turned out that she had an uh, inoperable brain tumor. Um, and she died. This was in 1998 when this picture was taken, the same year that we published our paper. And um, it, it was really, for me, as a, as a biologist, someone who deliberately chose to work on um, you know, invertebrates because they don't have blood and they're, you know, um, they're, they're simple and, and um, uh, to, to have, to have uh, my work be so relevant all of a sudden to medicine um, and have a lot of people who have a lot of hope that this medicine could help someone they love, someone like Tara, uh, had really uh, an impact on me, I must say. I feel a real desire to get back to work and to try to make new discoveries and try to understand um, how our our cells work and, and how to treat things like cancer. But also, I feel a desire now, I feel like I have a, a new job, and I feel a real desire to um, think about and, and use the opportunity to help you guys and everyone in this room think about, work together on how to make this a better place. And I hope that that will begin here. Uh, and I'd like to offer all of you my voice, if I can, to help the causes that you're working on, because it's so important that from many different walks of life, we come together to uh, try to make a difference. And I'm glad that my, my email is on the, the, uh, the site. I read my own emails, so please email me if there's some, something that you think I could help with. Um, and uh, I'd like to enlist you as well. But we have a lot of work to do. Um, we have a bright future, um, and we, we really need to start working together. Thank you. <laughs>